This is To Be Fair NI. The Pills Project podcast celebrating the activists and allies using the law to change lives. In each episode, we'll give you a seat at the Pills table and bring you into our public interest world to give you a sense of the work that we're doing on a daily basis in Northern Ireland. It's Emma from The Pills Project here with a very special episode of To Be Fair NI. We've got not one, but two guests for you today. Dr. Kira Brennan and Caitlin McElhannan from Environmental Justice Network Ireland. EJNI is an all-island network of academics, NGOs, community groups, lawyers and planners that was set up in 2019. One of EGNI's founders, Kira, was an environmental law lecturer and has a particular interest in environmental governance in post-conflict societies, which, as you can imagine, makes her the ideal person to talk to about Northern Ireland's own governance challenges in this particular area. And as EJNI's research and policy coordinator, Caitlin is combining her Master's in Climate and Environmental Law with a background in activism in the overall pursuit of equal access to environmental justice for all citizens. It really was an honour to get the chance to sit down with them and hear about the creative thinking and action that's going on across this island. Chatting to them gave me renewed hope about our collective future and I hope you feel the same at the end of this episode. If you've listened to To Be Fair NI as a series, this one really complements our previous climate justice episode because as you'll hear, Pills and EGNI are passionate about a lot of similar topics. We talked about how it can seem a bit scary for lawyers and NGOs to move into the arena of climate action for the first time especially when we've seen a deliberate backlash against change makers from those powerful vested interests that have the most to lose from change. But that initial apprehension can be quickly dispelled by the fact that there are ways to make the planet healthier and fairer. We have the tools we need already and we all have a valuable contribution to make in the solution. We also agreed that how we talk about climate action matters, so (laughs) let's not overcomplicate things. Ultimately, it's all about getting a diverse mix of people in a room together to thrash some ideas out, because that is where the magic can happen. Just a final heads up that we recorded this in December 2023 at the Ormo Baths in Belfast, a gorgeous meeting space, but the room that was next door had either a very vigorous hand dryer or a hoover in it but hopefully that slight bit of background noise shouldn't distract from the otherwise really insightful discussion. This is To Be Fair NI's conversation with Kira and Caitlin from Environmental Justice Network Ireland. So firstly thank you both so much for agreeing to chat. The main reason that I'd said to you just before we started recording that we wanted to start having conversations with 
the organisations and the groups and the people that we're working with is because there are so many people that PILS come into contact with through the course of our work. We're always working in partnership with groups, so whether that's the human rights organisations that are spotting cases, whether that's the solicitors that are supporting the clients, whether it's other networks like yourselves that we're a part of. There are so many different ways that if people want to create change, they can get involved. I think a lot of people, particularly the PILS work with, and particularly when we start to say we're working in the area of climate, I think some of the lawyers that we work with then have a tendency sometimes to rule themselves out. They say, oh, I'm not a climate lawyer. I'm not an expert in that. But our big thing that we've been saying to everybody is that everybody will end up being a climate lawyer because mm -hmm. every other issue will become completely moot mm -hmm. unless every single one of us that has skills apply skills mm -hmm. to climate action right now. There are so many humans behind every single one of those pieces of work that we do. And I feel that a lot of the time people don't get the credit that people don't know. They might look at a case and think, oh, I know who that is based on who's standing on the steps of the court. But there are so many people behind that wrapped up in an issue so that are advocating that nobody really either gets to see or we don't get to sit down and talk in more detail. So that's sort of why we wanted to do a full episode on Pills, climate justice, and the people that we're working with. The first question to start off with is the NI in your acronym doesn't stand for Northern Ireland like I think everybody would assume it is because it's an all island network. And I was just wondering from when the network started up in 2019, what have you seen? What changes have you seen? Um, how have you felt over the past three or four years that the network has developed? I'll give it to Kira for the start <laughs> of the organization, seeing as she started it. Um. Well, I suppose um, EGNI, Environmental Justice Network Ireland, was set up really in direct response to Brexit. That was one thing. Um, and I think really alarm at how that was going to impact on environmental governance in, in Northern Ireland, but on the island of Ireland as well. But it was also set up, I think, just because people, so many people that we knew from the NGO world, from lawyers, um, activists, academics, were so frustrated with a lack of any meaningful action to make things better in terms of environmental governance and that there really were quite significant environmental injustices happening on the island and that nothing was being done by decision makers to 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 respond to those so that's why we set up EGNI and it was also really in recognition of the need to work together as an island to respond to shared challenges so there's no point setting up an environmental justice network in in north of the border or south of the border we have to confront these challenges together yeah and I joined I think it was 20 the end of 2020 and I remember my first, I joined as a research assistant, and I remember my first task was like climate mapping, essentially finding out what organizations across the island are working on what and like what they're doing. And so it's been so, and that was, you know, when we, when I started that, we didn't know a lot of the lawyers and academics and organizations and NGOs working on stuff. And now, you know, three years later, it's like amazing to see that, you know, the people that I found, you know, three years ago and just, and um, that we've worked on a lot of like great projects with them and we've collaborated and we're building that cooperation on shared island issues like organically like naturally just from like working on our projects like the cooperation's being built in that way so i definitely think that there's 
like there's much more interest in moving from you know cross-border or all island cooperation from moving from that being like a kind of nice to have thing mm-hmm. to something that's actually completely essential in terms of dealing with challenges um you know pollution doesn't respect the border now i think in legal terms like it's been really interesting because obviously a a, a main barrier to cooperation or collaboration between lawyers and legal organizations when I mean, we we do legal research and bring people together one of the big complications is that we've got two completely separate legal systems mm-hmm. so like we've different rules on costs we've different rules on you know how or different processes for bringing cases mm-hmm. we've different courts that you hear mm-hmm. cases in they have a constitution, they have a constitution. we mm-hmm. don't you know there's different legislation like they're like still the European Union. we're still in the European <laughs> Union, you know, in the North, we're not, you know, although we kind of are a little bit, but the, yeah. re- read the Linking the Irish yeah. Environment report to, to find out about that. But I yeah. think, um, I think it is really interesting to, to, to try to work out how to do cooperation when you do have different legal systems. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's one of the things we want to do is bring people together to look at that, not as a, I mean, it's a very complex problem. And it's like, sometimes is it almost too much effort to do that cooperation or that collaboration? But we um, are refusing to accept that. Um, and we're just, you know, trying to keep conversations going and to look at how we can, lots of different stakeholders can work together to do that cooperation, you know? Yeah, and at the start, I feel like it was almost like a nuanced thing where it was like, you know, this idea of transboundary cooperation and this, oh, by the way, we're, you know, a shared island, we have shared environmental issues. But since we've started, like, there has been an acknowledge, increasing acknowledgement, you know, at government level, at legislative level, like, you know, like in even in our NI Climate Act, it also referenced that we have to look to the climate plans and policies in the South and, you know, um, aim for coherence, you know, have regard to consistency with those plans and policies. So, and I've seen that, you know, from when I started the social justice organisations, you know, more and more and more adding climate action um, including all island climate action, you know, National Women's Council have acknowledged. Yeah. You know, they want to get involved in all island climate action too. So that's something that's different from you know when yeah. we started till now. There is definitely greater definitely interest yeah. engagement. I think as well, people are. I mean, like in the space of the four years since we started, like the I think the the pandemic happened as well, which I think made people reevaluate. You know, a lot of things, including you know, how we look at the environment and protect the environment around us. But I think the other thing that has happened is that we are beginning to see in real time the impact of the climate collapsing and biodiversity crisis. Like, I mean, it's not just some faraway thing that's impacting, you know, islands in the South Pacific, like, you know, the flooding and extreme weather events. I mean, they really have, and wildfires in Europe and things like that, you know, I think that has begun to impact on ordinary citizens perception of how important this is that filters through into politics well you know when you have a a functioning government but um but you know that is beginning to to be on you know it's it's something that is important to people Mm -hmm. um and i think that we're hopefully ahead of the curve and trying to persuade people that um we have to do this on an all-island basis we have to work together not just with environmental NGOs but with social justice NGOs Mm -hmm. and we have to bring lots of stakeholders in maybe people who we might not have thought about before like you know like data analysts like you know people who work in email and internet security you know um because we're gonna have to level up how we respond to this as a as a a community of people interested in 
environmental protection. I love that actually. I love that. I'm a big fan of that sort of unlikely allies grouping, you mm -hmm. know, people that wouldn't necessarily see themselves, because that's what I was saying about pills. Mm -hmm. Some people don't necessarily see a role or a clear path for themselves. If I'm not a human rights lawyer or mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not an environmental expert, that's not what I do. Yeah. But I love the fact, and I think a lot of the conversations that that we've had with people particularly around Loch Ney recently is that idea of well it's mm -hmm. going to take everybody like it'll take you know citizen data scientists it's going to like everybody's mm -hmm. going to have to yeah. be involved in this even if you th only think mm -hmm. of it as one small thing that you can do mm -hmm. yeah you can see how those mm -hmm. like little ecosystems of different bits yeah. of information are all coming together mm -hmm. now I think in a more coherent kind of way and even like art movements and things yeah. like that we're starting to see that like a lot more you know like with Lock and I and stuff, it's like I remember the, like the wake that was held at Lock and I, things like that. Yeah. They have impact, you know. Like we can do as much research and you know write all those policy papers and talk to the right people, but unless it's making having an impact on the communities or getting that message across to communities and like you know the likes of art and people that maybe artists, the people that wouldn't yet yeah, like you said consider themselves you know like climate experts or environmental experts. It's like yeah, and I think as well like it's really important to realize with those complex problems the situations aren't always straightforward and sometimes trying to explain what needs to happen you know we need to think about how we are doing that you know like are are we you know speaking to people as if everyone knows you know as much as we might about climate governance or environmental governance or environmental justice those words might not mean mm -hmm. things to people so we need to look at how we're presenting the, the material or the, the path forward and whether or not that's going to resonate with like ordinary citizens who are just like what is it that we need to do to, mm -hmm. to, to help because mm -hmm. I think that's happened loads with Loch Ney where you know there's been lots of news reports about it lots of tv programs that have focused on why it has happened but there's many complicated issues that are involved in you know in terms of explaining what why we are where we are now but the path out of that is also equally complicated you know and I think it's to be open-minded about how we view those complicated problems and to try to you know cast around for views about what is the most democratic way forward and if we are asking the public to participate I mean there's loads of rules like the Aarhus Convention puts in place very very robust um, requirements for you know like nation states to make sure that their population can participate in environmental decision making but if we want people to participate we have to be able to convince them mm -hmm. about what it is that needs to happen and help them participate in a mm -hmm. way that you know is democratic means that decisions are being made um not from a top down that hasn't really worked very well but from a you know grassroots level you know of um, bridging that gap between top-down and bottom-up approaches is the citizens' assemblies that happened down south. I mean, I just think that it's a fantastic way to get the views of people who are not experts on things, who are contending with normal life, you know, and, and then that brings, especially the, the citizens' assembly on biodiversity, loss and climate change like that, that happened, when was that, last year? It was this year in 2023. So I think that, you know, the recommendations will be keeping a very close eye on what comes out of the, you know, the committees now. Mm -hmm. um, because there were some quite radical ideas that yeah, were proposed. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they, they recognise rights of nature, you know, to recognise mm -hmm. rights of nature in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. I mean, those sorts of issues are things that would have been sort of fringe ideas, mm -hmm. you know, a few years ago. But it showed, you know, the Citizens' Assembly process in itself showed that whenever 
those ideas are explained and um you know discussed by the communities by normal people in the population that that they agree with them so i think the point is that you know if we could just roll out those ideas rolling out those ideas re- requires that really invest an investment in public participation processes that gives people the time and the space to really wrap their heads around complicated problems and that's going to be so important because there's a backlash against some of these ideas you know progressive climate policies you know there's dealing with that backlash is Mm -hmm. so it's going to be so important over the coming years and to do that the NGO world you know climate progressives environmental defenders environmental protesters need to evolve to make what they're saying something that people across communities you know that they understand and that they empathize with in that regard talking about how small organizations are creating such you know great impact in the space of probably just more event on friday i'm still <laughs> thinking about strategic litigation but in regards to that it is only a very small group of ngos community groups that are carrying you know the strategic litigation across the island so that has to be acknowledged because that's really resource intensive you know, emotionally and financially, and that has to be acknowledged that these are bottom up grass level, you know, grassroots level, um, that are with people and community groups that are witnessing environmental, you know, damage and are trying to either prevent further damage or halt, you know what I mean? And so that's been really inspiring. You know, you have friends of the Irish environment, um, down south, and then you have like new gas caverns, you know, up north, and mm. friends of the earth, friends of the earth. So, yeah. like you said earlier, we've two very different legal um legal systems, but they're still, you know, small. It's still the same tactic is the you know it's the same north and south. Small, passionate grassroots groups are taking these litigation cases on either yeah. side of the border. So, yeah. and I think that's been a lovely thing for Pills as well because we've been involved with friends of the earth and mm-hmm. in their clean air diesel emissions challenge we're supporting that we're involved in no gas caverns as well so it's a lovely way to show that maybe some of the ideas that people might have seen coming from say the portuguese mm-hmm. young people's mm-hmm. case or they think that these are things that well this happens in the states or this happens in australia or this happens in you know different legal systems that people here are using the same sort of yeah. creative mm-hmm. approach to the law you're like well it's actually going on here yeah. as well so it's lovely to be able to give yeah. a shout out and say it's actually happening on this island and i i think like the the island of ireland is an amazing potential staging ground for the sort of strategic litigation that will have ripple effects far beyond the island because we have the complications created by brexit that create important kind of legal questions about transboundary litigation and how you do that between the eu and non-eu states that's the first thing and then you've also got complications caused by legacy a legacy of neglect environmental neglect con- like not just in practice like environmental management but like in terms of the governance and regulatory structures like we're dealing with structures here that are just outdated and not yeah. fit for purpose and failing yeah so i think you know having a some some sort of litigation that deals with a scenario that is legally complex that's dealing with a legacy of neglect but also is happening on a small island you know so there's great potential for us to fix these problems you know and to try to overcome you know the political or diplomatic issues that might arise whenever you've got you know sort of societies in transition you know contested border all those sorts of issues so you know i think we've got um 
really good potential for cooperation on an all-island basis on some form of strategic litigation that could be incredibly significant, mm-hmm. you know, not just here, but across Europe? Yeah, I think when we started to have, you know, when we started our workshops, like, earlier in the year, talking about strategic litigation, transboundary litigation, I I can totally see how scary that is, because <laughs> it hasn't been done before. Like, that, it's really complex, it's very intimidating, like you mentioned, like, the political obstacles, the administrative obstacles, like, it is very intimidating, but the more conversations that we had with organisations down south and, you know, bringing those together north and south, the more we were able to see yes differences and um similarities but also like we share very similar obstacles as well you know a lot of the same obstacles into like when you're taking judicial review cases obviously the cost regime is different north and south but it's still a burden it's still a burden still a barrier still a burden still a barrier um i'm trying to think of other barriers and obstacles that are the same well, I mean, the, one of the things that kept coming out, and I think this was from all of the NGOs, so we had an NGO workshop in June that focused on this, and one of the key barriers that was raised is the organisational, um, the impact on the organisation of litigation, because litigation could go very well, you could win, you could have some major impact, or it could go terribly, there could be massive reputational damage to the organisation, it could be very costly, well, you know how are you going to yeah, achieve that? That? Yeah. that came up a lot was um the communication strategies yeah like the communication side of it where it's like yeah you have your legal issue you find your lawyers you find your litigant but if you're trying to make real impact like you you are going to want to attempt to you know impact the public as well and raise awareness um to these environmental issues but you need campaigns for that you need communications you need strategic communications and that as well so that was something that was recurring on both sides as well. Yeah. And um, that came up and that costs a lot of money too. Well that's yeah. the thing. It takes a lot of time as well, it mm-hmm. takes a lot of resources. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking to organizations that are adding this as mm-hmm. a tool alongside everything else that they do, mm-hmm. it's a massive ask. Yeah. Well the other thing as well is I mean if you're trying to fundraise for litigation, like fundraising to pay the very expensive legal fees mm-hmm. That that's sometimes hard to get people behind because they feel like they're just paying expensive lawyer fees, you know. Exactly. And then, um, and then the other thing that I think is quite hard to fundraise for is if I think it's important to do a very quite a sophisticated um kind of case management, including the strategic comms, mm-hmm. as, as Caitlin was saying. But whenever you come when you're saying, right, hold on, what do we need money for? We need money to do the PR about the case again that doesn't sound so great whenever you know you're like well hold on or we could spend the money doing x y and z mm-hmm. paying for staff for our, our organization you know those sorts of things Absolutely. so you know you've got lots of competing um costs and none of them are particularly easy to justify funding for but are completely essential if mm-hmm. we're gonna use litigation mm-hmm. in a way that to affect meaningful change so you know i think um it's important to find out i think what i would like to try to find out is you know what are the total costs of taking a case like how do you cost that into an organization's um you know budget like how do you also cost out the unknowns like you know what if you need to confront a backlash to the case how do you do that and what are the sources of funding like you know is it that we is it are there international organizations mm-hmm. that look for this can it come from core funding will funders of ngos for example if they're the litigants will they be up for funding this you know so like those are key questions i think 
Well, there's a I suppose there's got so the the first thing is that we published a major report in June called Linking the Irish Environment, mm-hmm. which sets up a number of recommendations for how to enhance cooperation across the border in Ireland, and that's not just you know at NGO level or legal level, but that that goes right up to recommendations made for government. So there's a number of um of very interesting suggestions which are being taken up by NGOs. Mm-hmm. It explores that. We have another major report coming out in 2024 which was commissioned by the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission which talks as well about environmental rights post-Brexit in Northern Ireland and that also talks about potential avenues for litigation um, and then the you know before Christmas so in December 2023 mm-hmm. um, we have the strategic litigation on the island of Ireland coming out and what we do is talk about case law to date north and south of the border the barriers that um, are faced north and south of the border, but also importantly, barriers to transboundary cooperation and collaboration. Um, And then we also begin to talk about some recommendations and some pathways to enhancing the ability of of people interested in strategic litigation on the island of Ireland um, and how we we can enhance their ability to cooperate. Um, And it's also really easy to just slip into being like, well, in the north we do this and in the south we do this. And then you look at each other across the table and then everybody has a cup of tea and goes home. And we never, you know, get into the transboundary, the actual nitty gritty of what that would look like. Do you do simultaneous Mm -hmm. cases on the same issue north and south Mm -hmm. of the border? Do you try to rely on some international, like ESPU convention or some international mm-hmm. legal obligation? Mm-hmm. You know, what what would it actually look like? How would you pay for mm-hmm. it? Who would be the litigants? You know, these are all mm-hmm. questions. But instead of stopping the conversation at that point every time, mm-hmm. it's now trying to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. And that's what EGNI is trying to do. Because, you know, we need to translate the, these conversations into action now you know there's not enough time mm-hmm. to wait for yeah. years and years before starting this we need to do it now mm-hmm. we need to monopolize the you know public sentiment that this is the lack of action is ridiculous mm-hmm. and there's a sense of outrage especially in the north where we haven't had a government i mean we cannot get away with just waiting for government to come back mm-hmm. and fix things that's not going to happen so we need to take it into our own hands we need to do it now so that's i think what we're interested in doing is using um our organization to push for collaboration and to push for accelerated action um on on climate litigation you've added so much into that time oh really because in my head i was like i have 300 things to talk about and then we speak I was like, very quickly i know we do but yeah. i wanted to say so much I hope it came across during the course of that episode how much I enjoyed sitting down with Kira and Caitlin. A huge thanks to both of them for sharing their time. And sorry if we did speak a little bit fast at times. We were trying to fit so much in to a relatively short space of time. For more information on the reports that they mentioned and that the work they're both doing along with the rest of the brilliant community in Environmental Justice Network Ireland, check out ejni.net to be fair ni is a podcast series created by the public interest litigation support project editing of this episode is by me emma cassidy 
Stay tuned for more conversations with the activists and allies using the law to change lives in Northern Ireland.